So being led by the Holy Spirit. That sounds pretty simple, except we're terrible at taking advice. How many of you take advice that you're given every single time? Well, that's kind of a good thing because sometimes you get bad advice, right? Sometimes you're the one giving bad advice. When I was in college, I think more of my friends gave bad advice than good advice. And why is that? Because you guys don't know, and you're not dumb. You just don't know anything at all, period. No, I think, I think it's really easy to get good advice and not take it. Um, I don't know about you and your friend group, but my friends, since I was in high school, have always had this like, like option paralysis when it comes to what do we go out to eat. You know what I'm talking about? You, like, you and your friends are like, what should we go eat? And you're like, I don't know. Like, there's so many different options. And the other night, I asked my wife, Rebecca, she's in the back row over there. I said, hey, what do you want for dinner? And she's like, I don't know. And I was like, would it help be helpful if I gave you a few options? And she was like, yes, that'd be super helpful. So I thought for a second and I was like, what about Qdoba? No. So what about Mod Pizza? No. So what about burgers? No. Okay. Do we need like more choices? And I was like, so then I kind of like defaulted. And I was like, do you want cafe yum? And she was like, I always want cafe yum. And I never want cafe yum. I don't find cafe yum to be an enjoyable experience. So like I have found things that I will eat at cafe yum. But if you're like, Ryan, do you want to go to cafe yum? I'll say no. And you're like, do you want $100 and to go to cafe yum? I'll be like, I'll suffer through a quesadilla there. That's fine. Um, Cause like, I mean, they also have pretty bad quesadilla. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. It's pretty bad, but like, it's a quesadilla, so it's still edible. All that to say, she's she wanted options. She wanted choices, not advice per se. But here I am, like giving these suggestions, and she's like, I don't want any of those. So what we did is we compromised, and I went and got Dave's hot chicken, and I picked up Cafe Yum for her on the way home, and everybody was happy. Um, we survived. We made it. Sometimes when we're making bigger decisions, bigger life decisions, and we've got these options, we can also find ourselves in that similar like, kind of paralysis. Like, what do I do? And when it, came, came, when it comes to the question that we had kind of put up there, like, what's your decision-making process? How do you make these decisions? How many of you said you ask your mom? You can, you can raise your, you can be honest. It's not a bad thing. I ask my mom for advice as well. There we go. Okay, some of you don't trust your parents, and that's understandable, I guess. Um, I think a lot of us, when it comes to making decisions, we ask the people around us for input. What would you do? What do you think? And I'd like to think that you're not just asking like anybody. Like, if you ask a five-year-old, like, what kind of music do you want to listen to? You can't be surprised when she's like Moana or the Let It Go song from Frozen, and you need to explain to her that the correct answer is Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus at all times. That's what you want to listen to. Um, they, they will have to learn that over time, um, as do some of you, but that's okay. Um, on Sunday, uh, Ken Carson, one of our elders, taught. Uh, if you were at the retreat, he was there. His wife, Lachelle, is one of the leaders um, who's usually here tonight. She's not here tonight. Um, and Kim was talking about God's impartial judgment, right? God shows no partiality. That was, that was the big takeaway from the first part of Romans chapter two. 
Um, and something that Ken said really stuck out to me. He said that um, God is impartial in part because of his perfect knowledge of everything. He knows who you are. He knows the decisions you make. He, he, knows, he knows how and why you make those decisions. He knows the most intimate parts of you. And that allows God to be completely impartial because God is not like, like blinded. You can't like, like pretend and like put on a front and play uh, and God like, oh, like, and he's not gonna fall for it. God has this perfect knowledge. And I'd like to think that when we're asking for advice, when we're making decisions, that we would ask the one being that has perfect knowledge, that has this complete and perfect knowledge. So as we make big decisions in our lives, these life-altering decisions, like what your major is gonna be, or if you're gonna stay in school, or if you're gonna go to school, or what you're gonna do after school, right? You're making decisions on, on partners and, and life choices and, and different things like that, right? None of us should be making those decisions completely on our own in a vacuum. It just doesn't work like that. That's just, that's just not wise. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there's people in this room that, that would love to, to speak into your life. But, but the biggest thing is like, if you are new and you don't know who we are, then, then you don't trust us, right? And, and when I was talking about why I make decisions and how I make decisions, it kind of hinged on, I ask people that I trust, right? I'm not gonna ask somebody for their opinion or their voice if I don't trust them. I'm gonna ask someone that I trust. And there's a few different factors that go into that trust. It could be wisdom, it could be life experience. Um, it could be that I know that, that they are for me, right? We all know people in our lives and maybe we consider them friends, but like when it boils down, like they're selfish. They're not for me. They're not going to want me to make the best decision for me, but if it has any impact on them and all of our actions impact the people around us, then they might make a decision that's gonna be best for them. Guys, it's important that we ask people that we trust and that there's wisdom, that there's experience there. And I think the biggest thing is when we ask God, and if you're a Christian or a Jesus follower in this room, like before you make especially any big decision, but also small decisions, like you should really be consulting God because like he's not going to lead you astray, right? If you ask me like, Ryan, what should I do with the rest of my life? I'm like, I don't know. You should do something really cool like buy a motorcycle, which is like objectively bad advice, but it like would be really fun and then you would have a motorcycle and maybe you'd let me drive the motorcycle. Maybe you wouldn't, which might be a better choice there. Um, I think it's important that, that we ask God and that we seek good advice. And there's um, this Psalm, Psalm 46 in the Old Testament. Um, if you've got a Bible and you can turn to it or if you wanna pull, pull it up on your phone, um, this is the only passage that we're gonna read tonight. Um, Psalm 46. And if you don't know Psalms in the Old Testament, these were literally, these were worship songs, right? It has a title. And the title is God is our fortress. And then it has these notes to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth. I don't know what that word means. And it says a song. This was sung at, in, in ancient Hebrew, um, by God's people as a worship song to God. 
So it starts in verse one of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Verse eight, it says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought the desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease at the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. As you read this psalm, one thing should become abundantly clear that when you're in battle, God is present. Verse 11 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, they are, they are giving credibility to God in this verse. This is not just some made up God. They're not just like pointing at a tree or the sun or the moon and saying, we're gonna choose to worship you. No, this is the God of our ancestors. This is the God that has carried us through so many different things. And it, and it gives this, this war um, kind of story where it says that God breaks the bow, he shatters the spear. He has brought desolations on the earth. When, if you know the Old Testament, there were different nations that would come against the nation of Israel and God would just like wipe them out. Like Israel had no business being as strong of an army as they were. And yet God was there. God was on their side. So he gives credibility so that we can trust this God. But then he calls him a fortress. And a fortress represents security and safety, right? If you're inside the fortress, you're safe. If you're outside the fortress, you are not there. It says, God is our fortress. How do you be inside God? Well, you just know God. You, you seek out God. If you're a Jesus follower in this room, that's a decision that you've already made where you're just looking for God and saying, God, I, I wanna be part of your family. I wanna know you, God. So God brings security. We can trust him. And if you are in a battle and if you're a person of faith, you trust that your God's gonna be with you wherever you go. You see guys, being led by the Holy Spirit comes down to trusting God. And it's really easy to say and it's something that I think is, is really important for, for people of faith, right? That like your faith is in the fact that you trust that Jesus can do what he said he was going to do, which was die on a cross to take the punishment that you deserved so that you wouldn't be separated from God. That you trust that Jesus, Jesus is able and capable of doing that. But it's a lot harder to trust God when it comes like down to those individual decisions. Because even though I trust God with every fiber of my being, I often make decisions that are in like blatant opposition of God, right? And I think we can all relate that there are things that we do where like, if we like asked like, what would Jesus do? It's not the thing that we're about to do, right? 
but it comes down to trusting God and really, really figuring out what that trust looks like. So do you trust God? Will you follow him in the midst of battle? And guys, we are constantly in this, this battle between holiness, right? What God has for us. God's not just here to make sure that we're happy. God is here to see that we, his creation, his children would be holy. And the sin that separates us from him, we are constantly in that battle. So when I read this Psalm, what makes it a little bit more captivating is, is who it's written by. I don't know if any of you guys who like grew up in like Awanas or grew up in church saw that, but it says it was written by the sons of Korah. Korah was this, this Levite. He was of the tribe of Levi. And uh, he and, um, and his family were responsible for helping maintain the tabernacle, which was the tent that God resided in in the Old Testament while the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were just kind of journeying. They were responsible for, for maintaining it and keeping, um, keeping the relics and stuff like that. They had to move the Ark of the Covenant, but they weren't allowed to use carts. Instead, they had to carry everything by hand, but they weren't allowed to touch any of it. So how do you carry something by hand that you can't touch? You don't have like laser vision where you can just like pick it up with your mind. Like that's not possible. So what they had to do is they had these, these big long sticks and they had these things that they had to like physically carry and bear the weight of it. And this guy, Korah, gets really, really frustrated with the whole thing. And he challenges Moses and his brother Aaron and their leadership that God has given them. And it says that he gets like 250 other men to come and challenge the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Now, God put Moses and Aaron in their positions of authority, and God gets pretty frustrated by this. So what God tells Moses to do is he warns Korah that the earth is gonna swallow you up, get everybody get away from Korah. And of course, Korah just kind of laughs at him, and then as soon as that happens, if you know the story, the earth opens up and it swallows these people and then it closes back. Remember the first time I heard this story and I was like, dude, the Bible is super metal. Like, that's insane. Like, imagine you're standing in front of somebody and like, it's, this is like full on like movie Lord of the Rings earthquake. It, the ground splits between your feet and a bunch of people just like fall into it and disappear and then it closes with like no sign of that. So Korah clearly does not make it. All the people who were with him who, who didn't get away from Korah do not make it. But it says that this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. They, these sons are actually named in the book of Exodus as well. And when we see that this psalm was written by his sons, we see this bigger picture that when Moses, the mouthpiece of God, said, get away from Korah, choose God, choose life, not death. They abandoned the advice of their dad, which was definitely bad advice, and they take the advice, they take the direction of God. So now when we read the psalm and it talks about God is a mighty fortress, the, the God of Jacob is our fortress, he's our, our, our security, our safety, we can trust him. They've already been put to the test and they listened, they were obedient, and they survived because of it. Literally, their existence hinged upon following God, following the Spirit, getting to know who the Spirit is. But before we can follow God, we have to learn what God's voice sounds like. 
and in a time and a place where like things are, are increasingly more chaotic. It's really, really difficult to do. I was at the gym this morning and, and I looked up at one point and there's like all the TVs up above our heads. And I don't know about if you guys go to the gym, but for some reason, all the TVs in the gym that I go to are all blue. Like you can see them, but like they're all blue and just terrible. And there's three different news channels. There's Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC all right next to each other. And I was like, dude, I'm curious what the headlines look like when something big happens. Because like, I don't know that you can fully agree or believe any one of those. They all have a bend. They all have a twist. And like, they're trying to tell you something that's true, but like they're, they're trying to kind of like, they're kind of trying to do it for themselves. And in a world where like we've got all that sort of stuff happening, we've got all the influencers on social media, we've got people who, who want what's best for them and they are trying to get us to do what is best for them. When it comes to learning the voice of God, it almost feels like there's no one that we can really trust. We have to learn what the voice of God is. We started off this series when Steve taught like, on, on truth, right? We want to walk in truth, but we've got to find the source of what that truth is. And guys, the source of truth that we can rely on is the Bible that may be in your hand, the Bible app that may be on your phone, that when we read that, it is the inspired holy word of a creator who not only knows you, who not only cares about you, who not only wants what's best for you, but he sent his son to die in exchange so that you could know him the way that he knows you. Guys, I think it's important to establish that God will never lead us to do something that is against his character or his nature. God will never convince you to, to date somebody or enter into a relationship with someone who's not following him because that's just gonna fall apart really quickly. God is never going to lead you to make a selfish decision or to abandon wisdom and just kind of like wing it. And sometimes I think that for, for a lot of us, when we hear like, oh, just be led by the Holy Spirit, then we kind of like get rid of this idea of wisdom and going, well, I'm just gonna kind of go wherever God tells me to go. I'm gonna be wherever God tells me to be. And that's fantastic if we know what the voice of God sounds like because there's all these other voices competing for that same space. I've got a friend of mine who, um, he was a part of this college group actually for a really, really long time. And he would just like show up places. And he still does. Like he doesn't live, he lives in Hawaii now and he just shows up at Ecclesia for Christmas. And we're like halfway through the church gathering and me and some of the worship team members are like in the green room and we're kind of like getting ready for, for the sermon to be done after the third gathering and we just see him kind of walking up. Like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just came to surprise my family. Not one of my family members in the entire state knows that I'm here. I was like, super cool. That's awesome. What are you doing here? He's like, I don't know. Okay. And he just kind of lives this life that's just kind of like going wherever and go with the flow. And like, in some ways, I'm kind of jealous. Like, I'm not quite to the point where like I plan every hour and every moment of vacation, but I definitely found out that Rebecca likes to like 
sleep all day for vacation and I like to get up and go do stuff for vacation. And as you might assume, when a husband and a wife don't agree on what to do for vacation, we leave later than I want to. We don't get to do all the things that I want to. And then the next morning she's like, I just want to lay in bed. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go find a coffee shop. I'm going to go do something. So the last time we were on vacation, I literally left her at the house and then like drove and found a coffee shop all by myself. And I was like, it's great. It's awesome. And she was like, this is great. This is awesome. We can't just go with the flow because that sounds like the spiritual thing to do. We need to learn to listen for the voice of God. So whether it's when God calls Abram in Genesis 12, and he says, Abram, leave your family and go to this new land that I've prepared for you. And Abram goes. Or when Moses finds, finds God in the burning bush and he says, Moses, go and free my people from slavery. And he effectively does that. They knew the voice of God. And yet these same two men, if you continue reading in either of their stories, make decisions that are in opposition to the will and desire of God because they didn't always listen to God's voice. A little bit of my own story. When I was in college, um, I was working at this this church summer camp in Kentucky. I'm actually going to put this away because I know this story because it's my real life. Um, I was working at this church camp in Kentucky, and week one, um, I'm sitting there with all these students, and I'm like, I'm a leader, right? I'm a Bible study leader, summer staffer, and I feel like God is calling me to to be in full-time like vocational ministry, like work at a church. And, and, and I'm like, okay. So I ask a handful of people, the, the, the pastor who was teaching that night, a handful of the other leaders that were there. I called people and got advice on like, what do you think this is all about? And here's the wildest thing to me. Of all these Christian leaders, not one of them said, Ryan, you should go be a pastor. Actually, most of them tried to convince me not to do it. They were like, well, why do, you think, why do you think that's what God wants for you? Like, what would you do with that? What, what, what else would you do if that wasn't what you were doing? Like, he's asking all these questions. And, and in reality, they weren't trying to get me to not do that. They were trying to help narrow down the voice of God for me. Because, because God saying, hey, I want you to go and, and, and be in ministry, like, that can mean a lot of different things. And for Myself, I was just like, well, that just means being a pastor, right? Like, that's like the only job. So I was like, I'm gonna be a pastor. So I got home from that summer camp. I changed my major. I tried to enroll in seminary. Like, I went from being an art major to a teaching major because when I called the seminary to get in, I called admissions and they said, oh, we prayed about it. You're not supposed to be here. And like, that could be a serious roadblock to like accomplishing my goal of I wanna be a pastor. And the college for pastors is like, no, you're not supposed to be here. So I get a degree in education. Um, all these different things. I made life decisions based on what I felt like God was saying and the wisdom and the experience that I allowed to speak into that and help narrow down the voice of God. About a year before I graduated, um, maybe about a year and a half, um, I see one night that there is this massive church that was in the Seattle area. They were hiring for an intern uh, for one of their worship pastors, one of my favorite worship artists of all time. Uh, and I was like, dude, this is crazy. So I applied. Like, I didn't think about it. I was just like, typed it all in. Like, but like, they're never going to choose me. 
I like volunteer run sound at a church of 75 people in like a small town outside Baton Rouge. Like this massive church in Seattle is never going to choose me to be this intern, but I applied anyway. And like two or three months go by and I don't hear anything. And I just think that they just kind of forgot about me. Um, and then I get an email and they're like, hey, Ryan, we've narrowed it down to you and just a couple other candidates. We're really interested. Can you, they had me like write an essay on like serving and what a deacon is and like get a few like music examples and stuff like that um, and submit all that. So I do, I do that, but as I prayed about it, I felt like God was saying, don't go. Stay in school and graduate. And it was about a year from graduation. So like the fool that I am, I told the guy, hey, here's all the stuff you asked for, but God's telling me not to accept it. So like, if you offer it to me, I'm just not gonna go. And he goes, okay, well, you know, thanks for submitting. We'll continue praying about it. We'll review your application and stuff like that. And we'll get back to you. But I was like, sure. I was like, there's no way. I just told him I didn't want it. Like, he's not gonna offer it to me. I don't want it. And a couple days later, I get an email from the youth pastor at their largest campus, like 5,000 people. And the email goes, we want you in Seattle in three weeks. This is a this is not an, an unpaid internship. This one was a paid internship. They wanted me to help oversee all youth worship for all 15 of their campuses across four states. It was gonna become a job. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I have to do, this is like, I bypassed a once in a lifetime opportunity already. This is a, a second once in a lifetime opportunity. I prayed about it and God said, don't go. I want you to stay in school and graduate. So here I'm telling the guy, man, this is my dream job. But God told me not to. And he said, well, if God changes his mind, I, that's what the email said. If God changes his mind, give us a call. We want you in Seattle. And I was like, I don't think God does that. Um, but thanks for the offer. At this point, I'm like, dude, like I will, I just blew it. Like my, my dream job was to, to run sound and production and all that for a church. And here is this like, like, like platform that like I could have gotten so far in my career, right? God tells me to work in ministry. I love music and running sound and all this production stuff. Here's like the marriage of those two things and God tells me not to take it. And then a few days later, that worship artist emails me directly and he goes, are you coming to Seattle or not? You are the candidate we've chosen. Are you coming to Seattle or not? I prayed about it. And God said, stay in school and graduate. So I told him, I can't. God told me not to. And he goes, well, you can't listen to me. You can't do what you want. You have to listen to him. And he goes, I, I have so much more respect for you because you're trying to be obedient to what God wants for you than just saying yes. And like, I, I fangirl, like I audibly shrieked when I got this email and had this dude's cell phone number in like, in the signature of the email. Um, and it's wild because I saw them on tour a couple of years later and I met him and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Ryan. I, I, you reached out to me about being an intern. He goes, oh yeah, I remember your name. Um, so cool that we finally got to meet. And I was like, yeah, I looked and I still had that email with your phone number in it. And I thought about texting you to tell you I was gonna be here tonight. But I thought that would be creepy. <laughs> and he looks at me like straight face and goes, yeah, I'm really glad you didn't do that. I was like, cool, cool. Thanks, God. You led me correctly in that decision as well. Um, 
So I turned down this once in a lifetime opportunity three times in one week. And then not long after that, maybe like, I don't know, a month or so, I'm at my friend's house and I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm, we're hanging out and I was like, dude, can I throw a dart at the map on your wall? He's like, yeah, sure, totally. Because like apartment walls don't matter at all, right? Um, he had this big US map on the wall and I went and got a dartboard and I blindfolded myself because you always throw darts blindfolded, right? Like I think that's gonna help or make my game worse. I play darts almost every single Monday and I'm terrible at darts. And I was even worse then because if you know a map of the United States, Oregon is very much not near the bullseye, right? <laughs> blindfolded myself and I spun around three times. And then he like reorients me so I'm not like throwing a dart at his window. And I throw it, it sticks in the wall, and I pull the blindfold off, and it's in Oregon. And I was like, dude, yeah, Oregon's great. That seems awesome, right? Portland's so cool, right? Portlandia was like super big show on TV at that point. Like, it's like, I'm going to Portland. And this is like 2014 or so. Um, maybe, I think it's late 2013. And I was like, cool. So I, at that point, just kind of poised my life. God, I'm gonna go to Oregon and do whatever it is that you have for me in Oregon. And I'm gonna move to Portland, and then after talking to a few people online that I had never met before, right, and this kind of goes back to the whole, like, you know, ask people for advice that you trust. Literally, this dude on, like, a Facebook band page was like, move to Eugene, it's way cheaper, and I was like, sold. So I moved to Eugene, and I'm like, God, I'm just gonna trust you in this whole process. So I graduate, I get a job teaching to save up some money so that I can make it out here. I come out and visit, and I'm like, yeah, this is a really small town. Because I'm from a town of like 800,000 people, and you come to Eugene Springfield, and it's like, not that. I was like, all right, God, I'm going to move to this small town, and I'm just going to see what it is that you have for me. So uh, I moved here in August of 2015, and everybody goes, you should go to Ecclesia. It's a really cool church. And I was like, I want to go to a cool church. I want to go to a good church, Bible-believing church. I'm like, okay. And then I met my now wife, and she goes, you should come to Ecclesia with me. And I'm like, yeah, let's go to Ecclesia. And that first morning, I walked in. She was running late. That guy who is a free spirit met me in the parking lot, just starts talking to me like I'm his best friend, right? That's the origin story of how this whole thing works. And I walk in, and I hear the worship, and I was like, oh, this is good. And I hear the teaching, and I was like, oh, this is good. And immediately, I was like, I found my church. Like, this is my home. But I still wanted to work in ministry. And they weren't hiring for a youth pastor. I assumed I was going to be a youth pastor because that's kind of where most people kind of like enter into ministry. And they weren't hiring. But the church across the street was. So you know what I did? I got paid. I went to the church across the street. If you're ever at church at Cal Young on a Sunday morning, there's a church across the street from the skate park. I was a youth pastor there for a while. And when I got hired... I said, how long do you expect me to stick around? And they said, longer than 18 months. I worked there for 19 months of the day before I started working at Ecclesia as a youth pastor. And when I took this job, Rebecca and I kind of talked and we agreed to, we didn't make this commitment to Steve or, or anybody else, but kind of like we were gonna give youth ministry at Ecclesia five solid years of just investing in the students and, and getting to know who they are, investing in their lives and spending time with them and birthday parties and, um, you know, whatever it was. 
And we did youth ministry for five years before, almost exactly five years and a month before I moved into my full-time role as a production director here at Ecclesia. And all of that, all of that comes down to me thinking I hear the voice of God, giving me a direction, asking people that I trust who have wisdom and experience and knowledge and who are for me. And they help narrow down what the voice of God was. And I'm literally standing here today because I wanted the Holy Spirit to lead me in some ways that that made a whole lot of logical sense, right? But in some ways that made absolutely no logical sense at all. And it's wild how God does that, how he will give us direction to make smart, simple, logical, wise decisions. And at the same time, like at the flip of a coin, go step out and do this crazy thing that makes no sense at all. But the only way that we can understand which, which one of those it is, or, or, or if both of those are him, is if we know his voice. Because everything, guys, everything is competing for the voice in our lives. Everything wants our attention. So in order to be led by the Holy Spirit, we've got to spend time with God. We've got to spend time with other believers. And through that process, getting to know the, the other leaders here and, 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 and just letting, letting us just, just care about you and, and invest in you. Um, and not, not in a weird way, but just in a we want what God wants for you. We don't want anything from you. We just want what God wants for you. Um, it, it's incredible to see how God will work and move in that experience if you just submit to his will and you learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. Would you guys pray with me?